Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. believe that, that Dr. Lynn, he had a word, I want you to know that that word is of the Lord, Doc, that uh, actually that that's exactly what I'm talking about this morning, that we're all called into something so much greater, that we're called into a battleground, amen? You know, you can look around you and quickly see that the world is not as it should. You know, if you can watch the headlines and think that, oh, this is of the Lord, then you need to question your theology. But I believe that God has called us to this highest calling. That God has called us to deeper things. That God has called each and every one of you to a specific purpose in His kingdom. I had the opportunity just a couple of weeks ago to speak to some young ministers at the uh, Young Ministers Institute. It's a, it's a week-long program for teenagers that's designed to train them for the, their calling, to train them for what God has them to do. I wish they would have had something like that while I was in high school. Of course, knowing me when I was in high school, I probably would have just not went, but that I wish they'd have had it. I'd have had the option to go. But I believe that even now that there's a great shortage of ministers here in the United States. I believe that there's a great shortage of ministers here in the world, in fact. I believe that, that God has called so many to the ministry and they've they turned their back. They've said, No, not me, Lord. Why? Because I believe that the enemy is. Is, is here. He is trying to, to distract people from their calling. I was reading a book by John Maxwell. He said that one in ten ministers, they won't make it to the age of 65 in the ministry. Why? Because the ministry has become something that I believe that was never intended to be. I want to talk to you this morning about what is the ministry really about? What does it really mean to answer the call, to answer the highest calling? James Dobson, a great, a great man of God, he estimates that some 1,500 ministers a month are leaving the ministry. Think about that. 1,500 ministers a month are leaving the ministry. Why? Because I don't think that we have a really good understanding of what the ministry is. I don't think that we really know what does it mean to be called. I think that we've turned ministry even into something that it's not. I believe in the same way we can even turn worship into something that it's not. I, I love the story. I believe it was at New Life uh, Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And the pastor got up one day and he said, he told the worship team, of course, you know, the worship team there is totally amazing and incredible. And he got up and he said, you know, I, want, I, I don't want any instruments. I don't want any, any lights. I don't want any, any sound equipment. I don't want anything. I want to go back to what worship really is. And that's where that song came out of. Because I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Well, we can turn even ministry into something that it's not even about. Well, I believe that ministry, and the time we came here, we came here for a specific purpose this morning. It's not to hear me speak. It's not the worship team. We came here... To meet with God. I don't know what's going 
did it last week, but I was trying to. We came here as a place to meet with God. We came here to, to experience the manifest presence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a real kind of way. That I believe that God wants to touch and speak to each one of you, and He wants to heal you. That that is the crux of the ministry. Well, it's not just to be a teacher; that's part of it. But it's also to be an encourager. It's to be a a person who comes alongside you, a person who grows you. I, I remember I even began to just prepare for this message as we're in this series, Back to the Basics. And here this morning, I want to kind of re rekindle that, that, that idea that we're going back to the basic things, back to the simple things, back to the, to the, to the precepts and elements that what Christianity truly is. I, just like summer camp, you go back to learning how to block, learning how to tackle. And, and sometimes in our faith, we can get so caught up doing other things that we forget about what's the basic things that we need to know. And we need to know what is, this, what is the purpose of the church? What are we doing here? I mean, that's a great thing to, to know, isn't it? What, what are you doing with your faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is your calling to this Christian faith? Is it simply just to come to church and identify with a certain group of, of, of people? No. Come on, they got social clubs that you can go join for that. Is it, is it just to come together so we can pool our money, so that we can feed the sick, so that we can clothe the naked, so that way we can uh, encourage those who have struggled devastating loss? That could be part of it. It's an open source, but that's not the call to ministry. That's not what we're here for. I believe that God gives us insight into what are we really doing here. We need to grab hold of this idea. Why? Because like Doc said this morning, we are called into the battleground. Come on, if you're sitting in this chairs, in these chairs here this morning, I want you to know that you are now enlisted into the army of the living God. Come on, you're, you're enlisted into the army of the living God. But that's not even a term we use anymore because you know, the army is even viewed in a negative light. But I want you to know it's a battleground. Christianity is not just about being right. It's not just about being popular. It's not just about being in the cool church. But it's about the redemption of souls in this world. It's about the salvation of the lost. As I begin to prepare for this message, how many of you know you can't preach something that you haven't experienced or gone through? Man, you can ask Shannon. I am like questioning my calling all week. I am like, I'm not even called to this, babe. I'm, I'm just like, I'm quitting. I'm just going to cancel everything, and I'm just going to go back to the oil field. Man, they, I have a real good thing in, the, in, in fishing tools, you know. I'm, I'm going to go back to doing that. And, of course, my encouraging wife, she's like, just, just go, just go. Joe, go to your happy place. Go into your prayer closet. Just begin to seek the Lord. Let him speak to you. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. That was my interpretation of what she said. Okay? That was my interpretation, right? Then we have to learn to interpret, right? I mean, that was, she probably said, she was like, quit, you know, anyway, she didn't really do that either. But, you know, you, you get a lot of things confused. I realized that, man, what does it mean to really pastor a church? This is a, it's a big weight to bear. I mean, we're doing hospital visits. We're going here. We're doing that. We've got building projects. I'm trying to finish a bachelor's degree. We're trying to launch discipleship programs, trying to launch pastoral care. We're trying to do all these things. I'm like, oh. What am I doing? I'm not the right guy for this. And at that very moment, I realized, wow, that was my qualification note right there. Man, we need Jesus. Amen? We can't begin to lose sight of what really matters. It's not about building a church. It's about building the kingdom of heaven on earth. Amen? I believe that we should all take a moment here this morning to evaluate our purpose and our calling, not just what we want to do with that, that makes us money, right? 
I mean, many times, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. You know, I want to be a, a cowboy. I want to be a preacher. I want to be a, a doctor, a lawyer, right? You see, those are all great things, but is, is that who we really are? Is that really our identity, or is that simply the things that we do to make money so that way we can put food on the table? And all those things are very important, but I want you to know that those things aren't forever, that our eternal identity isn't found in the things that we do to make money, but our eternal identity is found in what Jesus did to save our soul, that we are forever, once and for all, children of the living God. Amen? That is our identity. That is our calling. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Those are the things that don't go away. It doesn't matter that my job title might be pastor. I'm still a child of the living God. I'm still a minister of his kingdom. It's the simple things, not just the administrative things that make the difference. But every single one of us, regardless of what your title is, regardless of what your role is, I want you to know that you are enlisted into the kingdom of heaven, that you are enlisted to do to a work that goes beyond simply just making some money, paying the bills, building a big house, and buying a nice car, paying your kids for college. All that stuff's important, but I want you to know it's not the most important thing. I, I, love to, I used to do a, some ministry in the jails, and I would often tell the inmates, you know, God created you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. And I, I, I know that that's true inherently. We all know God created us for a purpose. In fact, I'm reading some books right now just about philosophy and different things like that. You begin to see that without Jesus, our life really lacks an answer to that question, what is my purpose? It really lacks that. You can't answer that question without Jesus. What am I here for? I'm hoping that this morning I can begin to answer that question. As I, I, was, I would tell those inmates, what's your purpose? They'd be looking like me like, you going to tell me? I mean, you have a purpose. Tell me what my purpose is. We have a calling. I, I love what Pastor Travis says. He has a simple saying. He says, our purpose in life is to know God and to make him known. And I think at, at, on a, if I was going to write like a just a mission statement, man, that's a great discipleship mission statement. To know God and make him known. That is our great calling. That's our what we're called to do. That goes beyond just our title, our job description. Every single one of us, if you're a if you're from the from a janitor to a lawyer, what is our purpose? I believe that we all have two purposes in this in this world, and, and we need to know the why of our purpose. How many of you know we can really get caught up in the what? And when I was talking to these young ministers, they begin to say, Well, I'm called to youth ministry, I'm called to children's ministry, I'm called to pastoral ministry, I'm called to worship ministry, I'm called to this ministry, that ministry. That's all great. It's important to know the what, but don't let the what drive your car. You let the, the, the why drive. It'll take you places that the what will never get you. Come on, if you, if you just begin to put just put all your weight and your credit on the what you're going to do, I want you to know you're limited by that what. Because once you reach that what, that's as far as what can take you. But when you begin to get into the why, you begin to see things a little bit differently. Now, how many of you know, seven years ago, whenever me and Shannon moved here to Lafayette, my, my what was to go work in, in the oil field down at Broussard, right? But my why was to be obedient to the calling of Jesus Christ in my life. I may not have known what that what looked like, but I knew what the why was. That why was to go. Why? Because Jesus said, go. The Holy Spirit said, go, Joe. We have two purposes. One's a corporate 
body purpose, that we need to know the why. What is your purpose in this church? Come on, I, I want to begin to just redefine even what church is. Come on, how many of you know it's not just a, a social club? It's not just a place where we come. I want, you are part of the this body. If you're in this church, you're part of this body. They got to put you here for a specific purpose. I want to warn you, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get mad. You're going to get offended. You're going to find joy. You're going to find peace. You're going to find prosperity. You're going to find hope. You're going to find Jesus. But just because you because of a little bit of offense, uh, I don't need to offend you a little bit for myself. That's not how you grow. You'll never grow like that. Imagine if every time I stub my toe, I just cut it off. We have a, we're part of a corporate body of Christ, that we need to find our purpose in the body of Christ. All of you are called to serve in this church in some kind of capacity. I don't care if it's just to, to look around you and say, hey, God wants to do this work. But you're going to encourage someone. I, I tell people all the time, an encouraging word is the cheapest thing that we can pay to give someone, right? It costs me very little to give someone an encouraging word, but it's one of the most valuable things that I have, I've ever received in my life. I mean, just to ha- even as a grown man, I mean, I'm, 40 years old, just to have another grown man say, hey, man, I'm really proud of you. You don't know how much that can impact a life. It can encourage someone. You don't know what people are going through. I'm proud of you. It'll change your life. It'll change your perspective. But we all need to find our calling, our purpose in the body of Christ. What am I doing here? And then we all have a personal purpose, a personal calling. I believe that the calling on everybody's life is identical. See, See, when I go out into this world, I don't wear a badge that says pastor. I don't have my license plate that says clergy on the front, right? Matter of fact, I don't even park in the clergy parking lot at the hospital unless I'm in a hurry. And then I will, but I'm not. But my point is, is that no matter where we go, we're all identified the same. We're just human beings, children of God. Our calling individually is all identically the same. This morning, I want to talk about that. You see, because I believe that even in eternity, we realize that as we just sang, Lord, you're worthy of it all. Do you realize that there are no spectator seats in heaven? There's no, there's no, there's no pews in heaven. There's no pastors in heaven. There's no worship guys in heaven. There's not a worship team and a PA. There's no balcony in heaven. God, there's no spectators in the kingdom of heaven. I believe we pray this prayer every. So often, I mean, not every week, we should, but our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we really living as as unto thy will, Lord, on earth as thy will is in heaven? Are we really living a life of calling and purpose and adoration and praise and really Walking in that true identity of Christ. How many of you know you are called and enlisted into the army of the living God? Come on, look at the person next to you and say, I'm enlisted into the army of the living God. Man, that makes the, the enemy tremble. Come on, the enemy trembles at the knowledge that, that, that you are saved. I want you to know that. Man, he, do you realize it's like a, it's like Jesus has put you in a place, and it may seem like in your family, like everything is haywire and crazy, and disorder, and there's total destruction, devastation. But Jesus has put the cure for that right in the middle of that devastation. Come on, don't you know, I mean, when you feel sick, you got to take a pill. What do you do? You put it in your mouth because you want to put the cure 
right in the middle of that destruction and devastation so he can do his work. I want you to know that if you're in that situation, God has purposed you for and called you to change that situation. How? By being an ambassador for Christ. I want to look this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read through verses 18 through 21. Now all things are of God. Let's see what else it says. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, say with me, ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, say committed to us, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him to know no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Lord Jesus, just help me this morning. Communicate your message of reconciliation. Lord, that our greatest calling in this earth is to be ministers of reconciliation. And here this morning, I want to get right to the point. I want to start right at the beginning, but I want to answer, answer three questions. If you noticed in that text, in a very, just a few lines, they use the word reconciled or reconciliation five times. I'm pretty sure if I was going to say, what's the point of these verses of Scripture? What do you think it is? Reconciliation, right? That God has reconciled us. It's not even a term we use very often anymore. But I want you to know it's an important one. It's a basic concept that we need to grab hold of. That God has reconciled us. That he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has given us the word of reconciliation. Those are three very important concepts that we need to understand. I want to answer three questions. Who are we reconciled to? What is the ministry of reconciliation? And how do we operate as ministers of reconciliation? It's important that we understand, as 1 Peter 1.3, it says, He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Jesus has done the work of our reconciliation. He has done the work already. You see, we need to understand that we were broken away from God. That in the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And it created a sinful nature of man. That we are born with a sinful nature. That each and every one of us, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try, we can't never get it right. That it was impossible for man to get it right. That no amount of laws, no set of rules, no amount of fasting or prayers without Jesus, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, many of us, we put, we need to get an understanding. Jesus says, I am the way. He's the way. What is a way? It's a road. It's a path. It's a route. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has provided a way for 
us. He's provided a path for us. How many of you know that our ability, I mean, our ministry is to point people to that path? It's to point, that's the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus has done the reconciliation work. He has created the way. We need to point people to the path. But so many times in our churches, we just begin to say, we build walls instead of make ways. We build walls instead of make ways. We'll tell people, you don't, you can't come here because of your sinful nature. You have tattoos and short dresses and long hair or short hair or gray hair, no hair. You're too old. You're too young. You've done too much. Go get cleaned up. Come back. That's not how it works. He has redeemed us. He has reconciled us from our sinful nature. He has reconciled us from our sinful actions. Well, all of our sins fall, sins fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of them. I mean, if we dig deep enough, some of you will find something out there. Can you imagine, even in your very thought life, I love what Pastor Tommy would say. Imagine if you just put your, all of your action, we just put it up on this big 25-foot wide screen. How many of you would want to stay in this room for that? Not me. I'm moving to, to Kansas or something. That God reconciles us in our sinful actions. He reconciles even our lust, our very thought life, our very intentions and our motives begin to change through Jesus Christ. And there's only one requirement I want to talk about this morning. So who are we reconciled to? We're reconciled to God. How are we reconciled to God? Through Jesus Christ. What is the way that he made? Grace. Grace is our common denominator. I can look around this room, I see all, I know many of your stories, and they're they're varied and they're different, but we all have one thing in common, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, grace is many times uh, explained as unmerited favor, that while we didn't even deserve it, Christ gave it to us anyway. He gave us this incredible grace, this amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You see, it it saved a wretch. Man, we sing songs even today. You listen on the radio, and it's songs about, oh, Lord, you make me beautiful and wonderful. You heal me. You restore me. The fact is that we're what we've done in our own life, that we're a wretch before the Lord. But yet, even in that state of wretchedness, God extends his grace, his unmerited favor. God's response to our sin, to our, our the nature of our sin, our actions of our sin, the lust of our sin, his response is found in Romans 5.8. It says, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, while you were still in the mud, Christ died for you. You see, it has nothing to do with anything that you've done. Man, I, I went to catechism. I did all of my, all of my, 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 my things that I had to do. I said all my prayers. I memorized the whole Bible. But yet, none of that got you one millimeter eighth of an inch closer to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus made a way through grace. It is by grace we're saved through faith. And even that's not of ourselves. That is a gift of God. Reconciled. He has reconciled us. Reconciliation in simple terms is the restoration of a relationship. Where there was a broken relationship, I want you to know that what God wants to to do with you is simply restore his relationship with you. That's a simple thing. He, he doesn't want to, he, he is your Lord, he's your Savior, he's your Master, he's your King, but he's the King who wants to get to know you on a personal level. He wants to come alongside and work with you. 
Jesus has made a way where there seemed to be no way. The veil is torn. The entry is open. The access to God is open for you. You have to go on that way. That way is through grace, to receive his grace. I was listening to a message by George Whitfield about repentance. George Whitfield was a great revivalist. He spent a lot of time preaching on sin. And he says that we need to begin to put our focus and our intentions, whenever we look at us, we need to focus on our sin. And when we look at Jesus, we need to focus on our salvation. That it's his salvation, not our salvation. That he's done all the work, we've done nothing. That without him, we're back to dust and rot. That when we're in our sins, we are worthless in his sight. But even in that, he made a way. I think we need a new revival of repentance in this country. We need a new revival of repentance. But that doesn't happen until the church begins to begin to operate in their calling. Because Jesus, he reconciled us to God, but there's something more. He says he has given us, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And it says we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. The ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors as though God were pleading through us. That word there in in the King James Version is beseech through us. The Greek term is uh, parakleo, to call alongside. He's begging, he's striving through us. Do you realize that you are a witness to the one true God? That that grace that was extended to you when you were in that fallen state, is there as a witness to those who are around you. That God is through you pleading his case. 17 years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and made him my Lord and my Savior. And my life was forever changed. In a moment, God delivered me from, from alcoholism. He delivered me from the bondages of sin. He introduced me to my beautiful wife. And there came a moment when my dad, he began to say, Joe, I I got a job for you. I need you to move in with me. I said, Dad, I don't feel like that's what God really asked me to do. He says, what are you talking about? Dad, I'm saved. He said, Joe, you're not this saved. You're not this saved. I said, okay, Dad, I I get it. But I I believe that God has really changed me and set me free. And in that very moment, I made a, a, a decision that my dad didn't understand. But I want you to know, 17 years later, My dad will tell anybody who asked him, if you don't believe in God, then I need you to go look at my son. Why? Because his life is a story of reconciliation. His life is a story of redemption. He was fallen and broken and in the pit and in the mire, and God set him back up and began to do some works through him. So my job is to have a ministry of reconciliation, to be a witness, to allow God to plead his case, to beseech his cause through me. A living testament of his power. My friends, that's the same story for each and every one of you. That we are called to this ministry of reconciliation. He has given us. He has given you this ministry. You want to know what your purpose is? To be a minister of reconciliation. I love this story in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to go one more real quick. What does it mean to be a minister of reconciliation? Jesus, as as only Jesus, you know, Jesus was the ultimate, like, taking opportunity for a teaching moment. He was the best at it. 
We try to say it. But God even works in our failure. How many of you know Romans 8, 28? That was the very first scripture verse I ever memorized in my entire life. God works all things together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to know I had a lot of bad seed sown in some ground that had to bear forth fruit in my life when I first came to the Lord. It was important for me to understand that God works all things together for what? For his good, for good, for his purposes. Well, even in our shame, even in our disappointments, God can work in that, that we can still be a witness unto him. Jesus is having this conversation, and Peter, as only Peter can do, Peter's the, the ultimate foot and mouth guy, right? He's the one who always just speaks first, thinks about it later, until he receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In verse 21, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, Peter, it's a, it's a legitimate question. Lord, I know. How many of you realize Peter is asking this question because he had a realization. I'm leading this, this growing, huge congregation, and, and I need to have the answer. People are people, and that doesn't change, right? Offenses happen. Why? I don't know. But God promised, Jesus promised in the book of Luke that beware that offenses will come. But woe unto you for whom they come. He says, you can be sure that, that offenses are going to come. Peter is asking, I'm leading this organization. How many times do I have to forgive these people? Because they don't do what they say. They don't. They say things that they shouldn't say. They are mean. They're hateful. How many times am I going to forgive them? Seven times? That's a lot in one day. Jesus' response is profound. It's deep. It's enlightening. How many of you realize it's challenging? Our expectations in this life, our expectations in our church, our expectations of other people are to have perfect relationships. It's like nobody's going to hurt my feelings. Nobody's going to get mad and have some unrelated issue and kind of you know, be mean to me. And any time that there's, a, there's, a, there's an imperfection in a relationship, we feel like it's their problem to solve. You see, God says, no, you can be sure that offenses are Our expectations don't really match reality very often. But what do we do when things seem bad? I, I know that many times we have an impulse to just run. We'll just say, well, you know what? I don't need to be part of that movement. I don't need to be part of this ministry because it's not really God's will anyway. I'm going to go do this. I want you to know if God's called you to something, he's called you to it. Don't let somebody else distract you from that. Have some stick to have some faith that God has actually spoken to you and called you to something. Or many times we'll even judge, right? We kind of get that. We'll either run or we'll judge. Like, man, that person, you know what? Whenever they do this, man, it's just, I, I just see it all wrong. They're just living in sin. I'm going to be judgmental. Or we can just do, even do something that's worse, just totally ignore the problem. Just ignore it like it never happened. But yet secretly inside of us, this, this, this hatred is boiling within us instead of just dealing with the issue. We'll run, we'll judge, we'll ignore it. But what should we do? I believe that God has called us to build a bridge. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. In Matthew 18, 15, Jesus is telling a story. He says, if your brother sins against you, he says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained a brother. 
you know, many times we get let people offend us and we'll just build a wall between us and them. But Jesus says, don't build a wall, build a bridge. I want you to go to that person. I want you to find out what it is that we need to do together to bring reconciliation into this. How many of you realize that we're called to be ministers of reconciliation? You need to be on the lookout for broken situations. You need to be begin to look at, be on the lookout for broken people. And reach out to them and say, I see your pain. I see your suffering. I see your addiction. I see your turmoil. I want you to know that Jesus is the way. Jesus brings healing. In fact, Jesus is screaming through me, through my testimony, his miraculous power through salvation. But many of us will just, we'll either run or we'll judge or we'll, or we'll just ignore the problems. But Jesus wants us to be ministers, peacemakers, not peacekeepers. I think that, that the church today, even as a whole, is ineffective because we live in these tribal camps. We say, well, we're just going to kind of hang out over here with all the people that I like. But really, we need to begin to realize that we're all in one kingdom. In fact, we need to begin to pray for all of the other churches in our community. A great friend of mine just went and took a church in Lake Charles. And the very first thing he did, he says, you know what we're going to do? I want to begin to break down any barriers that are going to be between us and our community. And many times those barriers are other churches. So what does I want to do is I want to begin to pray for the other churches in my community. Intentionally. One every week. Because I believe that the church can be ineffective. Because why? If you just read down, we quote this verse of scripture all the time. Matthew 18, 18. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a great truth. But I want you to get an understanding that it only works whenever we are in unity. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You see, if we can't gather together in unity, we can't gather together in one accord. We can't gather together in one purpose if there's always conflict amongst us. Jesus says, fix the conflict. He says, reconcile one with another. That we've been made reconciled unto God. We need to begin to reconcile unto our brothers. I love, I love hearing stories of reconciliation. I mean, Pastor Tommy's here, so I'll tell us a couple of his stories. Is, is when he got saved, he began to come under such deep conviction. He began to call people and confess his sins to them. Man, I, I did this, this, this. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. We should have that type of burden to make right or wrong. It's not, it's not the making right or wrong that leads us unto salvation. It's salvation that makes us unto leading, correcting our wrongs. Because why? God has given us. Come on, look at your neighbor. He's saying, he's given me a ministry of reconciliation. My friends, it doesn't matter if you're a youth pastor, a worship leader, a, a, a senior pastor, a, a, a church attender, a pew sitter, a, a greeter, a parking lot attendant. I want you to know that God has given each and every one of us, corporately and individually, a ministry of reconciliation. And we need to really grab hold of that. And let that be our defining call. Peter asked, how, how often shall I forgive? You see, he was trying to, his mind was looking at it wrong. He's trying to look at it from a legalistic sense. He was looking at it from the perspective of law. Lord, tell me how much and then that I'll do. But only that much. See, if we just get a bunch of rules, if we say, you need to do this, and that's all that we'll do, and then when we do nothing, you say, you just need to make it right with your mom or your dad. After that, 
repent. That's not saying mutual reconciliation goes to every brother, sister. Read Romans 13. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our nation. We need to guard our government. We need to find reconciliation even as a church to our government agencies. Why? Because they want to know the truth. I've, I've talked to many congressmen and senators, and every one of them say they want to know what does God say about a situation. You see, they have so many voices coming at them. They need to know. They want to know what's the right thing to do. doesn't mean that they're going to do it, but at least they want to know what the right thing to do is. We need to build bridges. Peter says, how often? He's like saying, okay, if we do seven, hey, don't you dare sin against me with eight, because then I'm coming after you. Jesus responds. He says, no, here's the deal. It's not about the law. Because I'm going to throw a number out there. It's so impossible to reach that. You have to extend grace towards others. You have to look at people when they sin against you and just extend grace. Don't you know the greatest sermon ever preached was preached by Jesus Christ? He said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. He said, if someone steals your jacket, give them your cloak too. He said, if they ask you to go the first mile, go also the second mile. Do more than what is expected of you. Don't look at things from limits and laws, but look at things through the eyes of grace. And then Jesus begins to give this wonderful proverb. His response will blow your mind. He says, 70 times 7, Peter. Let me tell you, 70 times 7. He says, but I don't want to leave it there. Jesus begins to tell a story about a king who wanted to settle accounts, about a great king who had many debts that he had lent people money. And an account came to him that, that said that he owed 10,000 talents. In today's money, it's several million dollars. Imagine this great king. He, I don't know why. It doesn't say why, but he came and he said, I want to settle all of my accounts. I don't want to have anybody that owes me money. I want to go ahead and claim all of the money. And he finds this one person. He says, okay, you owe me $20 million. How many of you know I, I don't carry that kind of cash? And to this man, it was an impossible amount for him to repay. The king says, the king says to him, you know, well, that I'll bring you into slavery. I'll bring your wife. I'll bring your kids. He says, because you can't pay the debt. It's impossible. This man gets down on his knees. He begins to beg and plead. He begins to say, I can't pay this debt. It's impossible to pay. How many of you know that there are people that have offended us, people that have done things to us? It is impossible for them to say they're sorry. He didn't even say, you know, he didn't even ask, Lord, forgive all my, my, my debt. Just, just forget it. Just forget, all, just forget all the debt. He said, no, get, be patient with me. Give me more time. I'll pay it back. You see, many of us, we come to Jesus. and We look, we have all this sin. Lord, I've sinned against you. I've done these things that I promised I'd never do again. Forgive me. What arrogance. This man, he says, be patient with me. Give me some more time. I'll pay back the debt. Of course, this man, knowing that he, there's not enough time in the world, there's not enough money that can ever come, he just says, I have mercy on you, on you. And he forgives him his entire debt. Jesus is telling this parable. Why? To paint a picture for his disciples. Because Peter says seven times, seven times seven. He says, in fact, you just have to forgive them totally like it never happened. Grace is extended. Unmerited favor 
blessing us even though he doesn't, blessing, that king blessed this man even though he didn't deserve it. Of course, this man, he goes and says, ah, free, go sell his wife, sell his kids. We're free from the debt. We don't have to ever pay it back. And then he goes out upon his way. I want you to know that this man is us. This man is us in this story. That the debt that we owed to God would never be able to be repaid. It was impossible except for the blood of Jesus Christ. That that debt that we owe, that sin burden that we carry was forgiven totally. And now we go out as ministers of reconciliation. This man, he goes out in Jesus' parable. He finds someone that owes him some money. Keep in mind, he doesn't even have any debt anymore. He finds someone owes him money, a hundred denarii, a little over $10,000. I mean, that's a lot of money, but it's not like impossible, right? The servant tells him, he says, he begins to beg and plead. He says, forgive me, forgive me. I can't pay it back. Have patience with me, and I'll pay it all to you. And in Matthew 18.30, it says that this servant says, if he went he, and he went out, he would not forgive him but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. It is by the very virtue of the grace extended to us that we should extend grace to others. That we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. That is our calling. That is our purpose. That is the highest calling. No matter if you're the president of the United States, the pastor of a church, servant, we are called to minister reconciliation to others, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Of course, the rest of the story, the king finds out about this man's actions, and he says, you know what? You have to forgive this man. He threw him and put him into prison, torture him. An even worse penalty had he just been sold into slavery. This is a very sobering revelation in Matthew 18.35. It says, so my heavenly Father will do to you if, uh, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I believe that this is an image of God with reconciliation. That he has reconciled us. We are to reconcile our brother. We are to reconcile others. How do we do that? How do we operate as ministers of reconciliation? God has given us this ministry. We go out to bring that message of reconciliation to this world. He has committed to us. That word committed means to lay a foundation. He's made a way. He set it all up for us. I want you to know that you can trust that he's not only just given it to us, but he's committed it to us. The best way I can explain this is that is that I can use this, this Starbucks gift card breakfast that I just had from Apple Tree Candy. It's got 10 bucks on it. Now, how many of you know that 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 I can come over here? Who likes Starbucks? Who likes Starbucks? Who likes who likes Starbucks? Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Who likes Starbucks? Only the pure ones. So here you go. Starbucks gift card. Ten dollars on it. I want you to know, I've given you that card, right? But that card is so much more than just like you can say, I don't know if it's really valid. Like I promise you, if you go to Starbucks. You're going to buy like one and a half beers, right? They had, they had a guy at Starbucks the other day. He said, I changed the name of it when I was growing up. He said, I called it Four Bucks, right? 
My problem's now is five bucks, right? It's not Starbucks anymore. It's five bucks. But 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 here it is. You have that card. In that in it, if you look on it, it says it has no cash value. Essentially, that card is totally worthless if you just put it in your pocket. When does it find its value? When you deliver it to Starbucks. You see, it's been given to you. This ministry has been given to you, but you have to have a certain amount of assurance that when you deliver it to someone else, that it still has its value. You see, just as that ministry of reconciliation has been given to us, we have to come with a realization that the word of reconciliation, the value, the logos, the assurance, the promise of, of, of reconciliation is committed to us. That is God's making a commitment to your calling. He's making a commitment to your ministry. He's saying, if you go and give this to others, I will extend to them the same grace that with I extended to you. Don't think that just because a person's too far gone, because they think that, or because you think that they've had a drug addiction too long, or they've done too much. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sins. It covers a multitude of sins. That there is no one too far from God's grace. No one too far from God's grace. He has committed it to us. The same way that card is committed. It has the stamp. It's got the logo seal of Starbucks. But how many of you know grace is so much more valuable than Starbucks? I, I used to have I used to play basketball with an uncle of mine. He would always tell me, I, you know, because I was young, I was man, I was athletic, I'd be shooting some ball. He was tall and good. He said, Boy, I'd just start coughing that basketball smack, right? Write no checks with your mouth that your body can't catch. Some of you, he's dunking on me right now. How many of you realize that God's grace is enough? <laughs> it's enough. It's enough for your sin and for all the sins of the world. He says that his mercy is new every morning. We've got to have an understanding of the difference between mercy and grace. Grace is that unmerited favor. It's, it's God giving you something that you never even deserve. Mercy is just simply God paying the price for something that you've already done. You see, God takes a step beyond mercy. He doesn't just not punish you for your actions. He actually blesses you in your actions. If only. Man. If only. I mean, I, I have some things in my life that that aren't exactly perfectly right. Paul even says he has this thorn in his flesh. And God says, Paul, is my grace not sufficient for you? Go, don't complain and curse. Is my grace not sufficient for you? This ministry that we have is to say that the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient not only for us, but it's sufficient for others. And we're called to this ministry of reconciliation. I want you to become a living, breathing carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus says you need to go into all the world preaching the gospel, he's not talking to me, he's talking to us. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on a podium or a platform or, or in a, in a uh, behind a piano or a drum kit. I want you to know that you can just share the love of Jesus Christ through your very actions. I've never preached a single message to my dad, but he sees the fruit of my life now. It's a lot better than what it was doing before. And he can't deny God because of it. I want to invite the worship team. And I want to just begin to take a, a, a closer look here this morning. You know, what is that? I want you to be 
You're called into the into the family of God. We have a new sign on our welcome center in the back. It says, welcome to our family. And it's very intentional. How many of you realize we are family of Christ? Family doesn't leave each other behind. They wait on one another. They serve one another. They love one another. They support one another. They fight for one another. In fact, if this is your first time here with us this morning, we want to welcome you and just let you know that we don't we, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in this place. Why? Because that's our commitment. And God has committed to us that. And I tell you, if you can't commit your the, the act of grace to another person, don't think that you're going to be able to operate in the gift of the Spirit very effectively. Here's why. If you can't believe, so let's say you want to operate in the gift of prophecy. I, I have very rarely ever been able to give a word to somebody and God just tells me everything that he wants to say at that moment. I have to go on very uh, a significant amount of faith If I can't believe that the grace that was extended to me is extended to others, and I can begin to share that faith, I want you to know, I was saved because someone told me about Jesus. God is calling you to tell people about Jesus, to be a minister of reconciliation, to build a bridge for someone else to share the love and the restoration that you experienced. Just as surely as I handed a Starbucks card, you can hand someone a grace card, and they're going to take that to you. Committed his word to us. Will you answer that call? This is a this is a serious question. Will you answer that call to the ministry? I'm not saying that you won't be involved. I mean you might be. Leading the Plants of Church is our, our superintendent. He'll be here for the first week of September. He is committed to plant uh, I think a hundred churches in two years. We have some church Billy Graham would have just been a man standing in the field all by himself, preaching to nobody, had it not been a team around him to run sound, to set up chairs. All those people are having, they get the same kind of assistance. He's up there right now holding it. Imagine that power. See, it's not about perfection in answering the call. It's about obedience. Don't, don't think that when you say, Lord, I, I want to I be used with you. I want to be an instrument in your master's hand. The enemy's going to come and begin to say, you're not good enough. I'll, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. You're not good enough. Is that okay? I'm not good enough. I, I, went, I got past that, that obstacle a long time ago. God actually took a, took a hand hold on me and called me to do it. Maybe you may think you've already gone too far in the wrong direction. There's nothing God can't do. God works all things together for good. You need to begin to just convince yourself that you're not. I'm not saying it'll happen in a moment, but no matter what you are, no matter where you are in your journey, you can encourage others towards Jesus Christ. Maybe you think, well, I can't reach this person because of this thing or whatever. Just maybe I'm white and they're black. Asian and you're Hispanic. Or maybe it's because you know I'm, I'm old and they're young. 
Christ is complete for the expression of the work, the expression of his work is in us. I love in the book of Acts, in the very first chapter, the very first word, it says this, in the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. How many of you realize that Luke is writing this after the, the resurrection? He's writing this after many years of, of, of traveling with Paul. He, he's writing this with an understanding. He didn't say, oh, 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 Theophilus, I'm writing to you all the things that Jesus did and taught. No, he said he began to do and teach. How many of you know that Jesus is not complete in his work yet? He is calling the body of Christ to be his ministers of reconciliation. As he has reconciled us, we are called to reconcile others unto him and unto one another. How do we do that? By walking in obedience and faith of the Lord. By building bridges towards other people. By going into the streets, to the highways, to the byways. By going into the to the bars and the homeless shelters. By going into the jails. In fact, we have an opportunity coming up here uh, in the middle of August. I have to have some uh, forms in. But if you want to come with me, we're going to go and do some, some prison ministry. After service, just come talk with me. If you want to go, men only. And I'll give you the details. You know, it'll be two, a two-day two crusade. But we're not you're called to go into that. It's not just a great idea. It's not just something fantastic. We as individuals are called to be the ministers of reconciliation. Amen? Are you willing to accept that high calling? It is the highest calling to be a witness of Jesus Christ. He's called us to be ambassadors. He says he, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's, given, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And he's called us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Pleading through us his word. He says that we need to be reconciled to one another. Here this morning, I want to take a moment. And I want to ask that we can answer that call. You know, faith is an incredible thing. Many times it requires action. Very rarely did God in the inspiration of the scriptures, you literally see it as an expression of faith. Actually, I don't really know of any pastors in here. I don't know if they know of any either. Many times it required actions. Some of them were very extreme actions, if you read it in the prophets. Some of them were very simple actions. Gideon putting out a fleece. Many times even those who needed healing would just stand up and walk and they would receive their healing. Jesus said, it's not my faith, it's your faith that made you well. Are you willing to accept that call to be a reconciler of God's world? Many of you, even here this morning, are thinking of, I believe that the Holy Spirit is even speaking to you this morning, showing you relationships that you need to repair. Broken relationships that have been going on way too long. Believe it or not, God has given you a promise to heal a broken heart. 
a simple faith commitment. If you're willing to just answer that call to be a minister of reconciliation, that highest call, that's the highest call God has given you. To be a personal witness to who He is. I just want to ask you this, just to, if you could, if you're willing to say yes to Jesus this morning, could you stand up to your feet? stand this morning, I want you to know that we're all standing here. That we that we are called into this ministry, not just by ourselves, but we have the, the word of God and we have a commitment to one another. So right now, if you just want the Lord to begin to lead you in new ways, if you want to begin to walk in new purpose with Him, I want to ask you to do I surrender my life to you. And no matter where you go in the world, surrender is the same way. You walk out, you're in an army uniform, and you say, you hold your hands up in the air. Universally recognized, act of surrender. If you just surrender your life to the work of Lord Jesus Christ, you just lift your hands in the air this morning. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord God, and we look at you, Lord God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, that you have committed to us this ministry of reconciliation, Lord, that you have given us the keys, Lord God, that the keys to to death, hell, and the grave were passed on to your church, Lord God, that we are not just a social club, Lord, we're not just a place to come and, and hang out, Lord, but we are called and enlisted into the armies of the living God here this morning. Lord, that we commit ourselves to your work in our lives. We commit ourselves to trusting and walking in your faith, Lord. Lord, that you had faith in us. Lord, you have restored us through grace, Lord. Let us extend that same grace towards others. Lord, I pray that you can just bless us this morning. Lord, that you can even create opportunities this week, Lord, for us to operate in that great high calling of reconciliation. Lord, that when we follow you, Lord, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We are following in the footsteps of the the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who looked upon our own helpless situation while we were still yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, you made a way even when we didn't seem like we needed a way. We didn't even think we needed a way. Lord, you did it. Lord, that is our ministry. Lord, we're no longer going to just sit back and wait for the world to come to us, Lord. We're going to begin to take that gospel message into the world. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ took on the form of of humanity. Lord, help us to go out and walk in your footsteps, creating bridges, or being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. In 
Jesus' precious holy name. Come on, if you can agree with that this morning, could you just give the Lord some praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've been saved by grace. I, I am saved by grace. Man, that is some great news. I need to take some of that grace with me. You know, it says in, in the Word that His mercy is new every morning. You realize that Jesus, He uses up all of His mercy every single day. He uses it all up. He can't take any mercy. Let me show you some mercy for tomorrow. Are you ready? say, Pastor, I've never even received Jesus as my Savior. I want to make Him my Savior today. Just come and be visit with me. I'll be right up here after we're dismissed. If you need prayer in your body, if you need prayer for your mind, we're going to be here. We're going to have some people here to pray with you this morning. But I pray that you go in the name of the Lord. Be, a, be called to your ministry of reconciliation this week. Amen? Y'all go in the name we hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.